This morning's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse choking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I hurt myself today to see if I still Well, we get to hear Johnny Cash one more time next week. And so, yeah, all right. Uh, a little review, and this is a tough, I think this is a tough uh, sermon series if you're, if you're just kind of coming in and out, so I want to keep doing some review stuff. Um, we, we looked at, at how sin is this, is this thing that's in our nature. If we're honest, we know that it's so stubborn, even when we give our lives to Christ, that sin just doesn't go away. It's a long process. It, it gets in there and does its work, and it's just this hard thing, and we are all confronted by it. And then we heard some voices and um, at least some psychologists, uh, Christian psychologists, and I'm going to quote Gerald May here, who I, I love his book, Addiction and Grace, but he says that to be human is to be addicted. Take that seriously, folks. And that doesn't mean that we're all in, in you know, what we think of as addictions, that category, that, that strong thing that ruins lives. But it means that we, the same dynamic is at work in every human heart. That we stand before things in which we are powerless to overcome. And it's a matter of degree in terms of, like, we're all on the spectrum. We're all on the addiction spectrum where uh, the consequences are different, but it's the same dynamic that's going on inside of us, in our hearts. And then we, last week I mentioned guys like Augustine and uh, Luther and Calvin, and they all pretty much say the same thing, that idols, so another word, probably the closest word in the Bible to addiction is, is idolatry. And that idols capture our hearts. And if you're not looking out for it, I mean, you're, gonna get, you're not even going to know they exist. So um, that's where we've gone here the last few weeks is with idols. So the bottom line is, whatever you want to call it, bad habits, sin, addiction, idolatry, every human being stands in front of something or someone at some time who wants their heart, wants to capture their heart, wants to take their heart away from God, and you stand powerless before that thing. And if you don't know what that's like, I don't know, you know, that's, that's just human. So be honest. That's, now, Tim Keller, who I've used, you know, this isn't working either. Well, there we go. Okay. All right. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. 
from which you seek to get something that only God can give. That is what an idol is. That's our definition that we're working with. And then we're walking across this desert. that We can't go back into the Garden of Eden. God has called us to walk across the desert. The kingdom of God is in the distance, and we're to walk by faith towards that kingdom and live from the resources of that kingdom as we walk. And it's really, really hard. And these are the anxious voices that all of us hear in the desert. Everyone is looking at me. I am not enough. I do not have what it takes to tolerate what I feel. If only I had blank, you fill it in, then I would be enough. So fill in the blank. Let's just let's go a little further here. If only I had Mr. or Mrs. Wright in love with me. If only I had my race or culture recognized as better. If only I had access to an elite group. People feeling sorry for me. A kind of look or body image. People dependent on me, needing me. These are meant to capture or give you examples of what idols look like, right? Love and approval of others. Capacity to get a lot done. Freedom from obligations to others. Recognition for my accomplishments. A higher level of wealth and possessions. My family happy with me. Those are all idols, folks. And there's some really good stuff mixed in there. We'll talk about that. They're hard to discern. Okay, Lisa, where are you? Ah. You know, it's always like, is she really here? <laughs> okay, so I asked Lisa to talk about one of these idols up there, and I think it'll become clear. I'm going to leave that up there. But um, okay, Lisa Oswald is she's part, been part of us for a few years. She's a teacher, lives down in Maple Valley, drives all the way up here, loves it here, and we love her. Yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah, tell us your story. So this is a little part of my story and how an idol had a hold on my life. Um, More than anything on this earth, I wanted a happy family. This was my dream. I had a happy childhood, was raised in a Christian church with loving parents and siblings, and I knew that's what I wanted for my life. So at 23, I married. Eventually, I had three wonderful children, and things were mostly good for about 15 years. At some point after that, things started to deteriorate. There were fights about nothing, nothing at all. Little things made him angry, so I read books about marriage, I prayed, and I tried to make things better. Then I begged him to go to counseling, and though he finally agreed, he was angry about it, and things actually became worse. He was only there in body. We repeated this cycle several times in the next couple of years, and his anger, control, and verbal abuse began to chip away at my self-worth. I became severely anxious and began to wonder if it was just me. So tried to fix things with prescription meds and counseling. I thought, if I could fix myself, maybe I could fix the marriage. Well, I couldn't fix the marriage, uh, but through therapy and prayer, I finally began to see how unhealthy this commitment to the happy family had become. And I realized that I'd been living a a lie, and God had more for me. I divorced after 31 years of marriage, and I have been healing ever since. (laughs) So the idol is? The happy family. The happy family. If if that's your idol, you you will have a story. Um, and all idols, they thrive on lies. Can you identify maybe a lie that you were believing? Well, that 
there was only one way, and it was a happy family, even if it truly wasn't that. And it wasn't that. I had a friend of mine say um, to me, I said to her that I, I just couldn't stand to think of losing my happy family. And she said back to me, Lisa, you don't have a happy family. <laughs> I was so deluded. Um, so I guess just the lie that I had this image and that was it, and I wasn't listening to God. I wasn't, that was it. There was, there was nothing else. Okay, you've, you've given us much. And thank you for being vulnerable. That's wonderful. And, and I can just testify that she is in healing. And um, there's more to that story too, but we don't have time for it. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Yeah. And a happy family, by the way, it's a really wonderful thing, is it not? Can we all say that? But it may, it's not a good God. If that's your God, it's gonna, you're going to have, there's going to be things. Um, all right, we'll get into that a little bit more here. So a uh, little kind of a statement before we move on. <clears throat> uh, this is the, the sixth and seven in this series, and idolatry is the closest word to addiction in the Bible. Um, We've got to take it seriously. And today we're going to look at the New Testament. Last week we looked at Psalm 115. We're going to look at the New Testament, what Paul has to say about idols of the heart, which is our, our focus here, idols of the heart. And um, then we're going to look particularly at American idols, play on words. And uh, aren't I creative? Yep. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's one of, my, one of my idols is to be creative. All right. Um, Let's, go to, let's start with the, the Bible or the, the New Testament. And I'm going to give you a brief overview. And, and so bear with me. Um, and we'll get, we'll get into this text that was read for us today. But uh, Jesus, we looked at Jesus last week. He had a, a name for a particular idol called Mammon, which has to do with our possessions. And uh, we, we start there. But uh, Paul is really the one who talks about idols in, in part because he was a, the apostle, I don't know if, if you know this, but the apostle to who? The Gentiles, meaning the non-Jewish people. They were usually pagan Gentiles. And the pagan Gentile world was full of idols, um, idols that were um, visible. Like uh, he, he talks about the, the dangers of eating meat sacrificed to idols. It gets pretty complicated in the Corinthian letters. And he talks about temple prostitutes and how the, the temples were places where idols existed. That's the world that Paul had to deal with. And uh, he, as he presented Christ, to a whole new way of looking at life to these Gentiles who were used to pagan worship. So... Um, then in Ephesians and Colossians, which were probably written about the same time, they may have had the same letter carrier to both places, he mentions this pretty much the same thing, and it has to do with idols of the heart. So we're not just talking about external idols, which Paul did have some things to say about, but also idols of the heart, which now we should listen up because this is where we live. So let me read to you verse 5. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as uh, such a man is, or a person is an idolater, and they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God or of Christ. So it's a strong warning. And the word greedy person, so it's particularly greedy there, uh, but it's qualified by sexual sin as well as material possessions. And you find the same reference in Colossians 3, uh, uh, verse 5. 
It's very similar. But the word greedy there is, is translated in different trans, by different translators as covetous. And that's probably more accurate, but we would understand greed better than covetous. I mean, it's, it's, it's a word, a street word, greed. So um, of all the Ten Commandments, coveting is which number? Ten. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've got to know your Ten Commandments here. All right. it's, and it's, it's known to be the one commandment out of ten that's all about the heart. All the other commandments, have to, you can identify when somebody is committing adultery or stealing or murdering. You know, it's, it's all external. At least well, you can see it. But coveting is the one that's inside, or totally inside. It's all about the heart. Um, commentators on this uh, topic, at least, as they look at this, these passages that I'm bringing up to you, they, they, they summarize it in this way, that idolatry in the New Testament is primarily about three things. It, this will not surprise you. It is about money. Help me fill out the other two. Sex and power. Right. Money, sex, and power. Or, to, to use another word that maybe Lisa had, was control. If you can control your situation... Uh, then you know there's a there's an idol there somewhere behind your control impulses. So, money, sex, and power. Now here's the tricky part. This is really tricky. Is that there is nothing inherently wrong with money, sex, and power in the Bible. It's just that they can be if you get the dosage wrong. Thinking of addiction dosages here, but if you get the dosage wrong, they become like gods in your life. But there's nothing in here. They're good. Money is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. And power, they can all be good. They're part of God's gift to a world that we might say, thank you, God. But when they are idol-like, we find, I'm going to read you a couple of um, places here where things get out of, out of whack from uh, the same letter to the Ephesians chapter 4, just the previous chapter, talking about the Gentiles, those who are apart from God, uh, not, not of Jewish faith. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Their hearts have become hardened. How have they become hardened? Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. In other words, they have followed the desires of their heart and they have become enslaved. We talked about that a few uh, weeks ago. And they indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So they give, they give them, it's, an idol can be a good thing, but when you give your heart over to it, it becomes godlike. It's very simple. And then, now listen to this from Romans chapter 1 verse 24. It's, this is the worst thing God could possibly do to a human being. The worst thing God could possibly do. It says he gave them over to their sinful desires. I don't think God could pass further judgment on a human being than to give them over to their sinful human nature. It just leads to all... That's what, that's what we're talking about here when we talk about idolatry. So they give themselves over, and God gives them over. Now here's the redemptive moment here. That's not the final word. God gave them over. In AA, in, rehab, in um, recovery, one of those phrases, you hit bottom so you can look up. God gives you over to your idol, and eventually you find out that idol has been lying to you, left and right lying to you, 
and you, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you feel powerless before whatever that thing is, could be a happy family, and you look up to God and you say, God, I can't do it. Help, help, grace, I need grace. And your heart opens up. So God giving them over isn't the end of the, it's not the final word. Okay. There's some, there's New Testament thinking about idols right there. How about American idols? Let's get to our world. And uh, remember, they can be good. For one person, they're good. Same idol or thing can be good for one person and an idol to the next. And so think of a gun. A gun is a tool. It can be used for good things. And I've seen, I've known people where that gun was an idol. And I mean, it was on the fire, over the fireplace and to be worshipped. And they had more than one. And it was just this, it was just idol. I mean, to me, it was idolatry. Think about wine. The Bible is mostly positive on wine. But when you have too much, the dosage gets too high. That wine becomes your God. And it brings you down. The list is long. Think about opiates. I had to watch both my parents die at home from cancer. I had to, or I'm glad I did. But it was hard. And one of the things I'm so thankful for is the pain medication in the form of morphine. And that morphine was just, I mean, I thank God for it. But what can bring life to one person brings death to another. And if you know about the opioid crisis in America right now, um, I don't need to say any more. Same, the same drug, basically, from poppies. And um, anyway, technology. Is technology good? Yeah, it's really good. But can technology do harm? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And there's so many examples. And science is good, and, but scientism is the way that science keeps God out of the equation. And education is good, but education, you know, it has its, it has its limits as well, which we've, we've talked about. You can get all A's and flunk life, right? It's one of my favorite quotes, but uh, it has its limits. Anything can become an idol. Romance, family. Here's one. Grandchildren, right? All right. I'm gonna. Uh, I hope I hope everybody gets skewered today equally. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but these are all potential idols. They're all good, but they're all potential idols. Okay, let's let's take on some isms here. Patriotism, taken too far. Capitalism, conservatism, liberalism, progressivism. Any ism is a potential idol. Let's just put it that way. Do you know there's no isms in the kingdom of God? Aren't you glad? Not, not, none. They're all washed out. See, it's, it's, it's anything that takes on a God-like role in your life. And I'll just say this, and I think I'm being fair to everybody, but when I turn on CNN or Fox News, I see idols everywhere. Everywhere. Or potential idols, at least. Yeah, so I'm trying to get us to see that if we had these glasses on, these idol-detecting glasses, we might see idols. And they're so hard to detect because they're good. Most of them are good. So we're on this desert journey, depending on God, walking by faith, vulnerable to everything, and idols are seducing us or trying to seduce us, calling out to us, if you just trust me, I'll make your life better. And... um, we might remember Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 
to guard our hearts on this journey across the desert that we're on. And um, this is this is a quote that I it, I think I used it a few weeks ago, but I had uh, addiction in there, and I, I substituted idolatry just to make the point. Idolatry is an impaired attempt to find life without having to pay the price of feeling all that life requires one to feel. It just you you find a way. It's something that will make you feel better as you walk across the, this desert that helps you avoid the pain that is part, of the, is part of the walk, and that pain is there to help us grow up. We had, uh, I'm going to tell a couple of stories here. Uh, so Patty and I, we are, we've told this story many, many times. I don't think I've ever told it here, but it's just etched in our, our memories. In 1992, yeah, February of 1992, it was our, our son's 10th uh, birthday, our oldest son. We were in Las Vegas. I had a, um, you always have to explain why you're in Las Vegas. <laughs> I know that. Uh, had a um, uh, conference there. I was in business at the time. And it was, so it was a, a business conference, and it was over a weekend. And um, we were staying at one of those Excalibur. Is that a hotel? I think it is. We were staying there, and... We, I had to get up early sun, on a Sunday morning to be at the last day of this conference. And that feels weird when you're in a casino early on a Sunday morning. You know, and and um, so it was, I don't know, maybe it was 6.30 or 7 in the morning. And we had to walk through uh, the lobby. You know how everything's dark in those lobbies? And, uh, and we had to walk through it because you, you just have to go through it. And there was this woman with her arm on the slot machine and two kids asleep on the floor. And she had obviously been there all night. And I'm just, you know, it's just, you, she can't let go. What, what is that? It's, and that picture just, um, am I telling it right, honey? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so graphic. And it probably happened this morning in Las Vegas. I mean, this is just, just regular. But, so, okay, there's that. And, I, and the, the impulse in somebody, you know, like me or maybe you is to think, oh, that's, that's those people. So I'm going to tell one on me. And this is, by the way, when I tell stories on myself, believe me, they're, they're not the worst. <laughs> they're calculated. And that's, I'm guessing that's true for you. But this one's bad. It's worse than it might appear at first glance. So I grew up, I'll, I'll try to help me identify the idol here. And there, there, you will have some fun with this, but it, it's very serious. So I grew up, my dad, when I was eight years old, nine years old, took me to uh, University of Washington football game. And I learned, and he went there, that that's the team. And, uh, and I don't know, it got into me. And for me to uh, have the Huskies playing, not, see, I, you guys don't know all this because I, I'm pretty careful to hide my, my loyalties uh, in these areas. And I know you can, you can laugh all you want, but all right. So um, when they're if they're playing, I'm I'm they've got my attention, and I don't know it's irrational as far as deep as it goes and everything else. But if they're on television, I have to watch. So do you guys remember last September? Or I don't know, 15th or something like that. Do you remember we had a storm on a Saturday night, and what was it? Like the power went out and the the game got delayed. Do you remember that? Okay, so I had to make a call. By the way, I was preaching the next morning, so this plays into it pretty heavily. And uh, we might have to delete this off the thing. But I was preaching the next morning 
out of the Bible, God's holy word, and I'm called to be a minister of the gospel and uh, take that seriously. But I had to make this call. Do I stay up and watch this game that starts at now at 10.30 and ends at 1? Or do I go to bed and tape it? And I could not turn it off. I could not turn it off. And Patty went to bed, and I, I remember her saying something in a nice way, like, I can't believe it that you're doing, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, but honestly, it, it, what is that? I, you have to ask, what is the idol, what is the idol in my heart? And it, it, here's one of the things about it, whether we're talking about an addiction or an idol, it affects your life. You know you've got a problem when it affects your life. And when you're a pastor and you're up till one in the morning and then you can't sleep because they lost the stupid game, I mean, you know. Yeah. And the next day, I, I know I wasn't my best. I just know that. So I've got idols. And that some of them are fairly harmless, but they point to something deep within. I'll share another one here in a minute with you. I'm not really sure what the idol is there. Could you, it's deeper than just a football. Uh, there's something there that's looking for something godlike. Um, how to identify an idol? I'm going to give you four things. Two of them are from a guy named David Benner, and two are from a guy named Tim Keller. So... Uh, David Benner, the first one, you get defensive about it. It's something when it comes up, whatever the topic is, it, you, you know what it feels like to get defensive, right? It's something inside of you gets activated. You get angry or whatever it is. You get, and, uh, so for me, uh, I, if, if I feel like my, you know, somebody doesn't think I know as much as I know I do. Like, they don't know that I'm the world's expert on this topic or whatever it is, you know. Or um, I get disrespected. I get triggered. And there's something inside of me. And I, re- I remember um, a, a statement I made to a guy one time that sort of helps me answer where the, what, the, what the idol might be there for me. Is I said to him, you know, I don't ever want to be wealthy. I just want to be successful. You know, and I have had those words haunt me. Like, do you know what success, it's an idol that wants you to serve it. And it will cause you to do all kinds of things to be successful. It it will cause you depression when you're not. (laughs) I mean, it takes over your life. But it's this, what's behind... Why do I get defensive about certain things that has to do with me being perceived as a success? Uh, you might get triggered by phrases like white privilege. That's a phrase. I, I watch that phrase get thrown around these days, and in certain places, people just react. I might just ask you, what is the idol behind the reaction? Just look. I don't know what it is. I could guess. Gun control. There's another one. You throw out that word into a crowd. It's like throwing a grenade into a crowd. People react to it different ways. Immigration reform. Those are just political phrases that, that create this defensiveness. And, and I don't know. Get, it's all kind of, people get all excited about it. But I want to know what is the idol behind the defensiveness. Okay. That's the first one. Compulsive behaviors. Another one. What is, what is, like, watching a football game until one in the morning would be a compulsive behavior. Sitting down with a, this is the time of year where, you know, the cute little 
uh, fourth grade Girl Scout comes around selling what? And you find yourself eating a whole box, maybe two, at a setting. Yeah. Or just eating one of those cookies at Met Market. The ones you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> one of those is worth three boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Okay, here's, so Tim Keller has a couple. Time and money. I mean, it's, it's the obvious, but look in your checkbook. Look, just look in there. Where, what are the entries for? Where's, where's the quantity and the volume going? Or your calendar. Where's your time being spent? I mean, those are, you know, those things don't lie. Your checkbook isn't lying to you, and your calendar is not lying. This is where you, looking back, where you've spent your time and money, and that will maybe reveal an idol to you. And then he also mentions just your thought life. Where do your thoughts tend to go when you're just kind of at ease with yourself, sitting alone, and your, your thoughts tend to always kind of wander to the same place, like water sort of finding its way to the lowest point, and you, they always go there. It could be about whatever. And they're, they're, that could be an idol. So those are just four different ways defensiveness, compulsiveness, time and money, and your thought life. And what happens sometimes with our thought life, too, and he, Keller brings this out, is that you can actually pray for more of an idol in your life. So you might want to look at your prayer life. It's, it, yeah, it could be. And, and I'll say this about that. <laughs> How's that? I'll say this about that. I have a prayer. I, in, my, in my spiritual memory, I have a prayer where I prayed for an idol. I'm not going to tell you the story, but I prayed for an idol. I got the idol. God gave me over to that idol. And what I said earlier is what happened. I bottomed out. I, I saw how powerless I was. And I looked up and I said, God, you are. have got to get me out of this. So there's always a redemptive hope to the idolatry story. Now here's, let me just kind of give you a little summary here and then we'll get to our, our last part. The, um, the tricky part is that it's really hard to tell something that is good from an idol. I mean that, and we're not exactly great at discerning that because, and this is the really tricky part, and it's true of addictions and it's true of idols, is that we have this thing called denial. So we might, we might say, oh, that's not, a, that's not an addiction or that's not an idol. It's, it's a good thing in my life for which I'm thankful after your 10th glass of wine, you know, Maybe it's not just a good thing. It's, it's gone over that line. So figure out, I mean, allow the Holy Spirit to look into your heart and, and ask all of us who are living with this condition, uh, where is it, Lord? What is it? And, um, okay, so let's, one other test that we can give, and I want to get to the last um, thing here, is what, what do we do about it? And so what to do next? And that is, if you can give it up, that's a good sign, right? If, if you can do without it for a period of time, then maybe it's not an idol. Maybe it's just that good thing. And then you can maybe come back to it, maybe not. But here's the, here's the thing. We have Lent coming up. Do you know what that is, right? It's not the stuff in your dryer. It's Lent. And um, it's a Christian practice. It's been there for centuries. And it's well-tested. And you either add something or give something up for a period of 40 days. And you know, psychology and research has 
proven that if you can give something up for roughly 30 to 40 days, you have a good shot of establishing a new trajectory or a, a resetting the bar on a habit in your life. So it's, it's really a practical thing here to do. And so here's, here's the deal. Guess when Lent starts? Does anybody know this? It's like 10 days out. 10 days out. The 26th? 26. Okay, thank you. And um, we, we can gear up for that. But I want you to begin, and I'm doing this praying, about what you might add to your life or give up to your, uh, from your life so uh, that God can do his amazing work in your life. And we won't build our, our, our Lent around trying harder or just say no. I mean, that's, those, are, those are kind of cheap answers. So we have to, we'll, we'll be in the next series will help us uh, have the resources to go about that. So if, if being human is to be addicted, if being human is to have this stubborn, sinful nature, if being human is to have uh, this idle thing going on inside of us, then we have got to have resources beyond ourselves. From this passage, I wanna, I'm just going to close with this, but the first verse, and there's two phrases in here in verse 1 and 2, that were read for you. And the first one is, be imitators of God. It's the only place in the Bible where it says, be imitators of God. Now, your first reaction when you hear that is, that doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> I mean, that, that's my problem. I'm, I'm always trying to be like God, and it's not working for me. Okay, that's the right response, if you've had that, to be an imitator of God. But read, read further, and you'll see that we're talking about one specific aspect of God's character and it's not his sovereignty and power it's his love so it says be imitators of God and then he talks about how how is that illustrated and he goes straight to Christ love like Christ to be an imitator of God's love is to love like Christ and here's the other phrase who gave himself it says up but it's really over who gave himself over for you do you remember earlier I mentioned when we read Ephesians chapter 4, it says they gave themselves over to their sinful nature. It's the same phrase, only with Christ. He gave himself over for you, to death. That's how much he loved you. And if you're going to get, here's the deal, if you're going to get those idols out of your heart, you, you can't just get them out of your heart. You have to fill it with something. And you're going to fill it with the love of Jesus Christ, who gave himself over for you, to death, for you, for me. That's how we're going to proceed as we go forward. That's what it means to be an imitator of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that comes to us. And God, I hope that none of us are overwhelmed and we can still give you thanks for many good things in our lives because the list is long. But some of these things, Lord, have become entrenched in us, and we wear blinders, and we don't see what's really going on inside of us. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, right now, would you at least begin the process or make clear to us what is an idol, what is the thing that's behind the addiction, what is that which just keeps coming back into our lives? that seems bigger than we are. We seem powerless against money, sex, power, whatever that might be. As we look around and we look at all the progress in human history, we don't see any progress, Lord, in this area. Nothing has really changed. There's just more money, more sex, and more power. 
in our world. And it has an effect on us as we walk across this desert. So, Lord, we need you. Our willpower is weak. We need you, Jesus. We need your power and we need your strength. The prayer of our hearts, I pray that we can say, Oh, God, come, be that great power, greater power in my life and deliver me. Give me the freedom that you promised to me through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.